This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of CastingAcross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Something that I'll be doing from time to time on the podcast is going back into the Casting Across archives and exploring and revisiting some of the posts that we've had that have been particularly meaningful in one way or another. And even if you've read them before or you've been exposed to them, they'll be new and different for one because I'll be reading them. You'll get the inflection that might be good or might be obnoxious, but you'll be hearing me the way that I kind of heard it in my head when I was writing it. And the first one that I wanted to use and the first one I wanted to bring to the podcast was a post from October of 2016 called Fly Fishing is Trespassing. Now, Fly Fishing is Trespassing got a lot of traffic and actually up until very recently, it was my most read story on the website. And I think a lot of that has to do with the quasi-clickbaity sounding title. With a day and age that we're in where stream access is such a hot-button issue, a title like Fly Fishing is Trespassing probably brought in a lot of eyes looking for some sort of critique or criticism, maybe even looking to be combative with the position that I seem to be taking in the title. And while drawing people in with a controversial name wasn't my intention, I certainly am not going to complain that uh, I, I got more readers because of it. So that being said, I wanted to introduce you to this uh, article and what I was thinking about when I wrote it, and more importantly, just the concept of really how we all are trespassing in some sense of the word when we're fly fishing. I was trespassing. Well, sort of. The company that owned the land that the stream flowed through hadn't actually used it for years. And word on the street was that their concern was more about teenagers and drunken revelry than fly fishers, duck hunters, and trappers. So 
I'll go ahead and file it in the, quote, tree falling in the woods with no one around category of property law. I was the tree, and I wasn't going to make a sound. I'd accessed this particular stretch of water before, numerous times. It is a small tributary of an incredibly famous trout stream. The main stem gets slammed spring, summer, and fall. Additionally, the little branch narrows to a small deep channel where it enters the main creek. It's overgrown, murky, and doesn't seem worth a second look. But most fly fishers should know better, because a short walk upstream, after looking around to make sure no one is watching you deviate off the path, reveals that the tight little run opens up into a perfectly fishable creek. Where this creek is, well, where it exactly is, I'm not going to say. But where it is, generally, is old. People have been there for a long time. People have used the land, used the water. So although it is somewhat remote, there are traces of civilization all over. Busted out dams, culverts, diversion channels. And when nature takes those things back, they get awfully fishy. Under normal circumstances, you'd be hard-pressed to find an angler that is looking for rusted-out culverts to fish around. Crumbling concrete with jutting, rusty rebar is not the imagery that makes the front of fly fishing magazines. But fish see things differently. Structure and cover are structure and cover. To wild brown trout, a rock is a log, is a pipe, is an old stop sign. Just pretend you're fishing in a post-apocalyptic world. Those willing to fish creatively will inherit the trout. And I caught fish. A few good ones. Browns exclusively. Thick fish with bright fins, sparsely spotted and deeply hued. I've seen brook trout in there. They're relics of an era before people put in the aforementioned dams and impacted the stream in who knows how many negative ways. For the life of me, I haven't caught one. And this isn't the kind of stream where a fly fisher can target fish. I mean, you cast, you wait, and you do your best to take advantage of the single shot you're going to have. You'll probably only have one. I've only ever had one. And apparently, it has been that way for a long time. You see, I also love fly fishing history. And as much as I enjoy reading about the preeminent names and places in the sport, I'm that much more enamored with local history. Books from guys who self-publish about their childhood exploits aren't too hard to find. Compilations of newspaper columns and interviews of the men and women who came before my generation are the kinds of things that get me excited to be out on the water. I'd read a few things about the main stem that I was fishing, and deduced by some locational clues that other well-respected anglers had fished the little tributary as well. Back then, it wasn't on private property, but back then, people weren't as litigious. Furthermore, the way that they wrote about it, it made it seem like they wanted to keep those precise spots even more close to the vest than usual. One account really captivated me. It had to do with a particular brown trout that this fly fisherman had watched feed for a number of summer nights. He made a number of errors before finally hooking and landing the fish. It wasn't as big as he'd catch on the stream, but the way he described the challenge made it clear that it was a special fish in a special spot. It was those kinds of periphery things that made this stream special. A little thrill from straying off the path, the used but wild feel of the water itself, fish that looked the same but different than their kin downstream, a sense of history that was tangible. One summer afternoon, that last element became crystal clear. After work, I headed to the creek. I geared up and started off downstream to fish a hatch I had been fishing all week. 
The fish were plentiful, and I was confident I could get into a handful before dinner. For some reason, as I passed the little deer trail that would lead me up to the little tributary, I stopped. As I'd done countless times before, I checked to see if I was alone. Really, I was more concerned at the prospect of cluing someone into the fishing possibilities than I was about getting caught. Priorities, right? I slipped into the weeds and began to head to where I thought I could find some trout. Not even two minutes into my walk, I heard a sound. Deer were ubiquitous, so I didn't think much of it initially. However, it became quickly clear that it was another person. What to do at this point? Turn around and get back on the main path? Plead ignorance if it becomes an issue? Ask for permission? But it was too late. In the thick brush, we were quickly only a rod's length away from each other. We made eye contact, and I could tell he hadn't heard me. We both stopped. Then I realized who it was. It was the guy, the author, the fisherman that I'd read so many times before. Now he was well into his 80s, but he was still at it, and he was still trespassing. Good evening, he said with a smile as he resumed his stride. Good luck, and he passed right by me. A perplexed, hi, was all I had to offer. I took it as the conveying of a blessing. Seriously, without any sort of formal laying out of hands exercise, he saw a young man doing what he had done a half century ago. He and I have talked a number of times since, and he all but confirmed my assumptions. He'd certainly never used the terminology that I employed above, but he appreciated what I was doing and how I was doing it. That stream means so much more now. That confrontation was another peripheral element that fed into the overall aura of an already special place. The trout are great, but they are simply the focal point to a rich landscape that engages me in a number of ways. That's what fly fishing should be. A little danger, a bit of skill, a few fish, and fitting into a bigger picture than yourself. Crossing boundaries that usually aren't crossed, thinking outside the marked paths. Fly fishing always demands some kind of trespassing. Every week on the Casting Across Fly Fishing podcast, I want to recommend something to you. Some people, some places, some things that might help you as you pursue fish. This week, I want to recommend two other podcasts. There's lots of other great fly fishing podcasts out there, but the two I want to recommend today are Two Guys in a River and the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with Rob Snow White. Now, I don't think I'm taking away from their audience, and I don't anticipate I'm going to do myself a disservice by sending you to subscribe to their podcasts, because they're both excellent, and I think we kind of all come at this from a different perspective. Steve and Dave over at Two Guys in a River are great for everyone, but I would especially recommend them to someone who's just getting into fly fishing. They have a way of breaking down terminology and concepts and even just being on the water that is incredibly approachable. Plus, their banter is pretty entertaining. And Rob brings a great perspective as well. He's all over the place, and he's doing it from a guides and a fly fishing industry insider's perspective. He fishes in a lot of different places and has a lot of different experiences that are worth listening to his entertaining take on. Moreover, Rob, Steve, and Dave are all guys I consider my friends, guys I've sat with, guys I've eaten with, and guys who've had me on their podcast. 
So definitely take a moment to check out Two Guys in a River and the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western oh, mule there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv in wild country rules were not created by man don't miss wild country wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m eastern presented by primos speak the language waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment